0: How well the psalmist has summed up for us in the reading we had today, his feelings concerning the wonderful work of the creator of heaven and earth. The psalm is opened with the expression of praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honour and majesty. We are then treated to a survey of many of the creative acts of the Lord God and the wonders of his works, resulting in acknowledgement by the psalmist in verse 24 of the greatness of his creation. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all, the earth is full of thy riches. Indeed, we all see and marvel at the wonder of all the things around us, from the beauty of the flowers and the independence for their survival on the work of bees and other flying creatures. We observe the beauty of the birds, each one a perfect design to ensure its survival under normal conditions we can observe the magnificence of the animals resulting from God's creative hands, each one adapted to its own needs for continued existence. Wherever we look, we must conclude, as the psalmist has in verse 31, that the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet, I will be glad in the Lord. We see how the psalmist emphasises that what we see around us is the handiwork of the Lord our God. Twelve times in this psalm, the writer draws our attention to the creative power of God, being displayed for all to see in the earth, evidence that it is hard to reasonably refute how we look forward to the day when those who deny the majestic work of the Lord our God and who glibly speak of design without acknowledging a designer will be removed from this fair earth. Thus the psalmist closes the the psalm in verse 35 with the plea, let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul, praise ye the Lord. The prophet Isaiah has similarly called for their judgment in chapter 43, verse 8. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. How blind these so-called experts are. They close their eyes to all the evidence around them and they are willfully deaf to the truth of the scriptures The Apostle Paul, writing to the brothers and sisters in Rome, comments on such a situation when he says in the first chapter and verse 21, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Yes, if only they did not blind themselves, willfully closing their eyes to all the evidence that's before them. If they would but open their eyes and ears to the wonders of God's creative hand that speaks so loudly of the living creator, then would they have found the real truth that they've spent their lives trying to deny. Sadly, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, says the apostle in verse 22. To this thought, Jeremiah adds the comment, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. This morning we call for an end to the ignorance of the foolish of mankind by joining with the words of the prophet Isaiah. Let all nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. Let us then think upon the words of today's psalm and reflect on the majesty and power of God we serve. For he is the one, as the prophet Isaiah has said, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars and marketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish. So today we're going to involve ourselves in a little scientific exercise. It may seem more like a lecture, but any study into these matters provides us with a firm foundation upon which to build our trust in the revelation of the purpose and promises of God that we find in our Bibles. So let us take a little excursion into the field of science and see where it leads us. Firstly, by looking at the second verse of the Psalm 104 that we read today, where we speak of speaking of the Almighty One, it says, Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment? Who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain? This has been known from the earliest days of man's occupations of this world. For we read very similar words in the book of Job, chapter 26, verse 7. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. It has taken millenniums for scientists to come to recognize that the Arctic North is a barren place and that the Earth revolves in space on its own axis. The Church, ignoring the scriptures, have in the past imprisoned and excommunicated people for making such observations. The Bible was right. We can add to the testimony by continuing with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. He spreadeth them out. But let us examine this further. We find the same sentiment expressed again in Isaiah in chapter 45 verse 12 where we have the words of God. I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. And yet again by Zechariah in chapter 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens. Only in more recent years have men come to realise that this universe is expanding. These prophets could have only known this by inspiration from God. A man has only now been able to verify that this is the truth. These were not idle words by the prophets, but they were inspired. They were the words of God. So now we see the proof of the value and veracity of the scriptures. Within the massive arrangement of constellations observable in our universe, our world is found within the Milky Way there is another marvellous thing, for within this galaxy there is a deep cloud through which astronomers, using conventional telescopes, cannot penetrate. Job wrote sorrowfully, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doeth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But these days we can go further than Job. You will have all heard of Jodrell Bank and its originator, Sir Bernard Lovell, who in 1945 developed the largest steerable radio telescope in the world, measuring 42 feet across. It can listen to the stars from thousands of miles away. Why is it that, what is that that interests us here? Because it illustrates the wonder of inspiration Turn with me to Psalm 19 and let us read from verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Let us listen to that passage again from the New Living Translation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. It is to be doubted that David knew of radio astronomy but by inspiration he was caused to write these wonderful words. Thereby he has placed on record details a discovery that's only been made in our lifetime has been verified. Radio astronomy has now proved the validity of David's words. Through the use of radio astronomy, it has been determined that the impenetrable dark cloud in the Milky Way has a presence behind it from which there is a response to their radio telescope. Transmissions are being noticed, indicating the existence there of a power source. Dare we suggest that this is the place of God's throne? Listen to the words of Job speaking so long ago. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. Job wasn't the only one to make such an observation for we find similar comments in the first book of kings chapter 8 verse 12. Then spoke Solomon, The Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. The Psalmist also made the same observation in Psalm 72 verse 2. Clouds and darkness around about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And so we pass on. Two weeks ago, there was great excitement in the USA because since the year 2003, spending billions of dollars and trying to prove Einstein's theory of gravitational waves, a theory of powerful wave movements throughout the universe, they consider that they have now solved the issue by showing that two black holes collided about two billion years ago and set off waves that they have now been able to detect by radio telescopes. These waves that they picked up were shown on the television screen. They've wasted billions and billions of dollars over this, when we could have told them that God, who created all things, has written about this for our learning, having revealed it through the psalmist. Only in our lifetime has this been discovered at great expense by scientists, but it was there all along for them in the Psalms, if only they had looked. One further word on this. I expect you're all familiar with the name of Stephen Hawking's, a dedicated evolutionist who speaks through a computer. He was interviewed prior to his presentation at the annual Wreath Lectures on black holes. One of his answers is very surprising. And I quote it here. The positive energy of matter balances its negative gravitational energy. So universes can be created for free without violation of the laws of conservation of energy. I am not sure what this has to say about God, but it's an idea with a lot of creative potential. We could all tell him what it says about God for it's all here in the Bible. So bear with me, we'll go back to the third verse of the Psalm we read today and note these words, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot. What are the beams of his chambers, we asked? Rotherham renders the words as, building in the waters his upper chambers. Tyndale rendered the words as, thou boltest it above with waters. A strange word that he uses, boltists. It seems to imply being locked up, but not so strange when we know what is meant. Until very recently, we wouldn't have taken particular notice of this information, but again, modern discoveries and science have provided us with proof of the inspiration of the scriptures. In parallel with that quotation, we go to Genesis chapter one, verse six. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. As we said earlier on, the beginning of day one, the whole earth was submerged under a vast ocean of water. We asked, where did all that vast amount of water go? Now, some who read this exhortation today may be already aware of what we're to say because attention to it was first reported in the Christadelphian magazine, but it bears repeating and developing scripturally. So we secured a copy of the New Scientist in which the report occurs. But let's, however, start with the Bible. Turning to Proverbs 8 and verse 27, we read concerning the wisdom of God, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandments, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, he strengthened the foundations of the deep. Was that where the water went? To humanise, this looks impossible until scientific studies in America brought to light one of the most wondrous facilities provided by God in creating this world. We would not be able to answer the question without these modern discoveries. Now we know what the foundations of the deep are. We quote here from the report made in the New Scientists. A reservoir of water three times the volume of all the oceans has been discovered deep beneath the Earth's surface. The water is hidden inside a blue rock called Ringwoodite that lies 700 kilometers underground. That's about 450 miles. It is found in the mantle between the hot rock, between the Earth's surface and its core. We should be grateful for this deep reservoir, says the new scientist. And significantly he follows with, if it wasn't there, it would be on the surface of the earth and the mountain tops would be the only land poking out. We are grateful indeed for this information, for now we know where all that flood came from in Noah's day and where it disappeared to subsequently. With all this new knowledge, let us draw attention to the verse from Genesis 7 verse 11 concerning the beginning of the flood in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, that same day were all the foundations of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. The waters stored in the ringwoodite were released. Then later we further learn that the flood was made to recede. We read of this in chapter eight, verse one. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The foundations also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of a 150 days, the waters were abated. The waters returned from off the earth The waters were assuaged, we read. The New International Version uses the word subsided. Thus, they were once again secured in the Ringwoodite. Remember Tyndale's word, bolted. We've spent a lot of time today with the discoveries of science, but we can be strengthened by the knowledge that enhances our view that the Bible is a truthful and inspired work. We join with the psalmist in the praise found in verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. But we are not to end on those matters only, as the psalmist also found reason to look for the day when those who have perpetrated false dogmas will be removed. Let us then turn again to the closing of our psalm today at verse 33 and rejoice with the psalmist in the knowledge of the day when God's power will again be manifested forcefully in the earth and our understanding of the magnitude of his work will be enhanced and enlarged. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul, praise ye the Lord. May that day be soon with us when the wicked antagonists of God shall be no more and that we may join with our Lord who willingly gave himself as a sacrifice that we might gain that great day. And then rejoice as the next psalm opens. O give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works, glory ye in his holy name. That we have now endeavoured to do today, let us then honour his work as we now remember him in the emblems which speak of his enduring love toward us all. When he gave his only son, to be the sacrifice that has related us to the glorious hope of life in the day soon to come, when all the mysteries of God's wonderful handiwork will be revealed. So as the psalm continues, Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord.